welcome to the Halal Metropolis podcast, where we interview artists and other creatives from the Muslim communities of Southeast Michigan to explore how their work contributes to the visibility and vitality of the Detroit metropolitan region. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, hello and assalamu alaikum. I'm your host, Razi Jafri. I'm a visual artist and a documentary filmmaker and one of the core members of the Halal Metropolis team. Our guest today is Ajmal Zahir. Ajmal is a motion picture and commercial director. He was born in Southfield, Michigan, not too far from here, and grew up in West Bloomfield. Through his films, he's also committed to raising the visibility of American Muslims. Ajmal has recently written, directed, and produced a pilot for a really cool project called Kristar and the Night Stallion, which is the first story about a Middle Eastern South Asian superhero duo. He actually collaborated with one of our former guests, comedian Abdullah Jassim. And we'll talk about Crestar and the Night Stallion and all of his other projects uh, a little bit later in the interview. Ajmal, it's great to have you here for what I think will be a really enjoyable and fun conversation. Welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, very honored to be here. Great. It's great to have you. Um, so, you know, one of the things I know about you is that you're just such a great storyteller, you know, through your work and through your films. Um, why don't we go back to, you know, some of the earlier moments where you realized that this is what you wanted to do. Tell us a great story about an aha moment that you had in your life where you knew that you wanted to make films. Wow. Okay. That's a very, very good question. I think there was probably uh, quite a few of those and they mostly happened uh, in my childhood. In fact, I think they happened so early on that they kind of border on your your earliest memories and then they evolve into who you are as a person as well. Uh, all I can tell you is, is that uh, I was born in 1977 and the first movie I saw was Star Wars. I saw it when I was a little baby. They took me into the movie theater and I watched it. My brothers say I cried. My parents said I was fine and watched the whole movie. Who knows what the truth is? But uh, since then, I remember every time I would sit in my parents' room, cross-legged as a little kid, two years old, three years old, four years old, ten years old, and I'd watch these uh, movies and cartoons, anything from um, Superman and Star Wars and uh, The Wizard of Oz uh, to cartoons. We, we lived in an amazing time between 1977 and 1995 there was just so much amazing imaginative content and I think it was really instilled into my DNA from before I can even remember and I'll, I'll, I'll give you one of those moments is that when I was a little kid and I heard this piece of music it was Superman and my heart would beat as a little kid because I knew what was about to come. And to this day, my heart still beats if I hear those few bars of music. And so it was in my DNA that I knew I wanted to do this stuff before I even knew what this stuff was. I, I didn't know what a director was or what a producer was or any one of those things. But I knew I wanted to make movies. So when I was uh, 11 or 12 years old, we were, we were driving away from a very good family friend of ours. Now he's now since passed. His name is Dr. Joshi. He lived in Wabik. And we were driving away from his house from a party one day. And I remember my parents said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was in the back seat of our car. And I turned to my dad and my mom. And I go, well, I want to be a motion picture director. 
<laughs> and, and what was their reaction? It was 15 seconds of silence, and my dad was like, well, I don't know much about it, but if you ever want to go to medical school, I can definitely help you out with that. <laughs> and uh, the interesting thing about my parents were, they were they're very different for South Asian Pakistani parents. Um, my mom actually was pushing this along since I was a little kid. I've been drawing since I was two. And uh, she was very supportive of it. Not supportive, in fact, she was pushing it. And so I think it just, in, in her mind, she was like, that makes sense. I don't think she knew what I was talking about. But she was like, that makes sense. And so uh, when I went to high school, they started, I started getting, in, getting interviews with bigger schools out in L.A. and things like that. And, um, and my mom just said, okay, let's do it. So it's been built into me since I was a little kid. Hmm. You know? Did you, you know, so let's, let's dive into that a little bit, you know, because it's not easy for anybody, you know, and particularly as, as immigrants, first and second generation, we feel a particular type of pressure to pursue stable jobs, make money, support our families, so on and so forth. Did you ever at any point feel this kind of pressure and how did you handle it? I, A, I got very lucky. I had I have a very great set of parents. My mom passed away a long time ago, but they were different in many ways in that they didn't say no, okay? They didn't say no. I don't think they really knew where I was going. They didn't say no. And my dad is a very forward-thinking person. You know, he, he created the Association of Pakistani Physicians North America. It's an organization that I think before then nobody would have thought about it. He thought about it. He made it. Mm. And I think he believes in creating things. And I, I, even though he doesn't know what the hell I'm talking about, he was like, okay, uh, okay, do whatever. Yeah. Um, so the problem, though, I have, there's a, there's a weird part of my brain that exists that I don't think everybody has, which is that when I have my mind set on something, I don't really hear what other people say. I don't, it's not that I don't care. It's that it, I can't even really understand some of those words, right? When they say something's impossible, I say nothing is impossible. There's not one thing on this planet that you say is amazing that wasn't created by some man or woman, right? Uh, whether it's the Mona Lisa or the iPhone or Avatar or Star Wars, it, it's all created by somebody, and, and one of us has to do it. I've always had that mentality. Um, but yes, I think that what you're saying is absolutely correct, that there is a lot of pressure to do what everybody else is doing. And I just happen to be one of the people that lives outside of that, and not by choice, and, and it's not, not a thought of mine. It just so happens I wasn't born with that gene where I really care what the guy next to me is wearing or what the lady next to me is doing. I only care about what I felt I was meant to do, and I really felt I was meant to do this. And I, I went down that path, and I think my, my family saw it at a very young age. I don't think that means that they believe it's going to happen. Oh, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they saw that from three, four, five years old, I was self-learning and self-teaching things and, and uh, going in this direction. And there was no other choice. I wasn't going to, even though I could have done many other things, it wasn't in my DNA to do them. Mm. So it's an unusual answer. Uh, the pressure is probably out there. But I think if I don't do this, I'll be feeling a hundred times more pressure mm. on me physically. I'll be always wondering, why didn't I do what I was meant to do? Mm. You know? So, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm a career changer. You know, yes. I actually did uh, yes. buckle to the pressure for, for many years and I, I came 
I, you know, I, I returned to a creative path and a creative career. And so I have, you know, a type of appreciation for it, which um, has been really great as I've been building my career and, and, you know, working on some of the stories that I'm working on. But, you know, a lot of what you're saying, you know, I do relate to. You are pursuing a path that's highly unusual. <laughs> and and one, one of the things that I find is so difficult is, you know, sometimes people show this real concern about how do you make money? How do you survive? <laughs> and it's always like a fun conversation at dinner parties. And, you know, it's like people are so concerned about your well-being, you know. Right. And, um, but, but you make it happen. And obviously you wouldn't be doing this work if, if you weren't surviving and thriving yeah. and doing it, you know. And so, but I think it's important for people like, you know, I, yeah, for people like you and I to cultivate and help, you know, grow the next generation as well of yeah. storytellers and artists. And, you know, that's really important. And, and speaking of, you know, the youth and young people, I kind of want to continue with your uh, journey. And let's talk a little bit about what it was like in high school when you were kind of getting ready to head off to LA and do that. And so maybe you can walk us through those early parts of your career. Yes. So. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to just jump back for a moment. Sure, and sure. Say yeah. To you, yeah. How do you feel now? Now that you are a successful documentary filmmaker, oh, I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't imagine another life. You've yeah. got a huge smile yeah. on your face every time I meet you. <laughs> yeah, I remember meeting you yeah. ten years ago, and I remember yeah. meeting you now. And this yeah. is what you were meant to do, and you're good at it. Oh, I'm, I'm so happy to be doing it. Yeah, and that's the answer it's, to your question. Yeah, it's just that when I was a little kid, I w it was so strong that I knew that if I didn't do this, that mm -hmm. smile that's on my face all the time, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have it. And and so and and, and another part of the answer to your question about the money thing. Yeah. I, I always tell people this, young and old, I say, you're born in the richest country in the world, one of the richest in the world, and you are living in one of the richest counties in that country. And today, in this day and age, the fact that you have everything that an emperor, a king, a ruler, a sultan <laughs> didn't have 85 years ago. Yeah. You've got penicillin, penicillin for your child when he gets sick. You can sit in a car with air conditioning and I can take a Coke out of the fridge and put ice in a glass and I can drink it. Or I could get on a jet plane and travel home and see my parents to India or Pakistan or China, wherever it is, in five or six hours. Why are we worrying about money? We're surrounded by riches every mm. single moment of the day. Mm. There are people in the world that have nothing. And that's why I don't worry about it. And mm. I've never had to worry about mm. it. And I've just said, this is my path, so I'm going down this. So I hope I, I, didn't, I didn't hijack the second question. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that, that, that um, addendum. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's, it's really important you know, um, to sort of make that point um, because it's a big concern for a lot of people. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I also know people that, you know, um, have left, you know, filmmaking or yes. have done something else yeah. because, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's really, really tough. So it's, it's yes. not to say that it's easy. It is going to be challenging, um, you know, but, uh, but there, there, the money's out there, you know, yeah. the, the resources are out there and uh, so much of it is putting yourself in the right place as well yeah. and so um yeah so i, I want to sort of continue with your journey a bit and and so you, how did you start planning you know your moves when you were mm -hmm. a teenager and coming into adulthood and thinking about you know this career that's going to develop and, and and tell us about the first few years in la as I will, well I yeah will. first of all i gotta compliment you you are a great interviewer <laughs> when i heard abdullah's i'm like man he he, he should be an npr because you're you just ask the right questions and they're very relevant um I will tell you this. I am uh, older today than, than when I was when I left for California. I left for California. at I had just turned 17, 
and I gained admission into at that time it was the best art school in the in the in the nation, one of the best in the world. It's called Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. At the time, I believe I was the youngest or second youngest student to have been accepted. And uh, at that school, average age was like 24, 23, 24. I was like 17. And imagine you, your parents sending you to another, co- literally another country almost. Yeah, you know? <laughs> basically. My mom, my mom said, okay. She was like, okay, you got into the school. They're recognizing that you can do this. I'm going to send you out there. And they, they had recruited me from my, my high school, Country Day, here. And... Um, to be honest with you, I'm much older now than I was then, but I always tell people I was smarter back then than I am today. And what do I mean by that is uh, I had it planned out at 17, and I'm just an older version of myself finishing the plan that he set up in 1994. Mm. I am just going on autopilot right now. In fact, the passion and the inspiration and the ideas... I had hundreds and thousands of them at that age until I was like you know, 20, 22, 23, 24. And now I'm just slowly building that knowledge and, and experience to execute a minor fraction of all those ideas. So I knew what kind of things I wanted to do and what kind of stories I wanted to tell. I went out to L.A., went to school at this at this college, and um, very quickly I got into the Hollywood system. I started designing storyboards and concert design for a lot of music videos, Dr. Dre, Fatboy Slim. I got these huge videos, and uh, Gladys Knight and Tamiya, and got paid a lot of money and um, was working for other people. Then I got a movie called Dungeons and Dragons, the film, and I did a couple other projects as well. And um, very quickly I realized, like, this is great. This is a lot of money. I can make half a million dollars starting very quickly within the next year if I do this full time. And um, my dad had told me, you know, you got to finish school. So I, of course, wanted to finish school. But I really, really realized that this is working for somebody else. You're creating the vision that a director is now taking your compositions and your storyboards and your designs and saying, okay, this is their work, which is true. You know, that's how, how the system works. But I realized, I'm like, no, I've always wanted to be a director. I should spend my time being a director as opposed to working for other people. And so that's why very quickly I said, no, I got to concentrate on building my my tool chest and learning what direct what a director is. It wasn't like the internet now. You don't know what the hell a director does. How do you put these shots together? Who, who do you get for your crew? Who do you, what kind of cameras do you use? So I had to learn lenses. I had to learn all that stuff on my own pre-internet and how to use editing systems. So that was what I was doing out in L.A., and I did that for about, uh, went to school for four years, five years, uh, came to U of M, Michigan, actually, for my academics, so I spent an extra fifth year doing that. And um, after college, I started directing projects. I did a spec commercial for Apple Computers, and that actually got my career started. Someone hired me to do a short film, then that won some awards, then I said, okay, now I'm learning everything. I want to go back to Michigan, and I want to start a company. And that's where I am now. I've been here now for about 10 years or a little bit longer than that. And uh, yeah, so as I said, I'm just executing a much smarter version of myself. Usually we get smarter as we get older. I'm actually getting dumber. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. And and so where, you know, throughout this whole experience, you know, you've, um, you know, worked in Hollywood, you've been in the quote unquote industry, you know, what what role did your Muslim identity play this whole time and how did it lead to some of the work that you're doing now? Yeah, um, that's, that's a great, another great question. Um, as you can tell, I, I'm a, a very, I, I, I'd like to think of myself, I don't know if everyone else will describe this to about me, but I like to feel that, uh, I'm a 
well-balanced human being. And I thank God every day that I was born in this country. I've seen it at its best, right? And it's given me so much opportunity. And I take advantage of the opportunity. There's no other country in the world where I think I could have done everything that I'm doing right now. But I always look back, and I look back at my background, my heritage, uh, our religion, the country that our parents were born in, which was India, and then the country they moved to, which was Pakistan, coming here to America, living. And I say, wow, the reason I feel, maybe people won't agree with me, but the reason I feel I'm well-balanced is because of that of that mixture. Mm. And I tell people in this country, America, man, there's nothing you can't do here. It gives you opportunity. It gives you freedom. It gives you wealth, inspiration, people to help you. People tend to help people in this country as opposed to tearing them down, which where we come from, it's most people try to tear you down. Mm-hmm. And you add that to where we come from, and whether that's the heritage, the culture, the community, or the religion, you get this strong sense of family. You get this strong sense of you have to live up to do something. It doesn't have to be all about money, or the, but you got to do something mm, good. Yeah. You either help people, or you help your community, or you help yourself. There's a sense of community, and that's what, for me, has kept me grounded my entire life. In fact, I probably one of the reasons I live here, even though I should be in L.A., is probably because I'm attracted to that as well. Mm, yeah. And it's infused into every single thing that I do, mm. including every story that I try to make, uh, every pro- whether it's a project about uh, South Asian superheroes or my last movie, which was uh, My Soul to Keep. It's about a regular old American kid. But it's a little American kid who's living at home with a great set of parents, and he's got you know this this great buddy of his as well. And it was my childhood. Mm. It was my childhood, mm-hmm. and so even though the kid is not my color and not from my background specifically, he is still me. Mm. You know, uh, and it plays a big part in everything I do. In fact, who I am as a person as well, how I how I conduct myself, it's it's all within my DNA. It's all wrapped all together. Mm. I can't separate it. Right. And and so I, I want to talk about some, some of your specific projects that touch upon this part of your identity a bit more and um and uh in in, in your films particularly with Jin and, and we'll talk about um Crestar and the Night Stallion. Um why is it important to create characters and heroes who are Muslim? Oh, that's I'll I'll tell you. That's a another man, you keep on blowing my mind with these questions. <laughs> great, great questions. I first, came prepared. <laughs> first of all, I um and this is uh, a message I have to everybody is that every storyteller, every filmmaker is different, right? You make amazing documentaries and you're going to make tons more in your life and there's a reason why you do it. You're telling the story about a place or a group of people, whatever it is. I think the same thing is with, with, with what I try to do is that I've chosen to make certain movies or I want to make certain movies and, and there's one theme that runs very strongly through them is that I think creating heroes is a great thing. I don't think you have to create heroes. And I think some of the best movies of all time have anti-heroes and then they can be about villains. But for the time that I have on this planet, if I can create heroes for little kids to watch and just, even if they just look up in the sky and they go, oh my God, it's Superman. Even for that one minute of magic, that one moment of magic or inspiration, or that one thing that might turn a kid from doing a bad thing into a good thing, I, I want to do that. That's, I think every movie has that in it or every idea that I have has it. And for me, that's an important thing. Some kids who don't have a dad, if you could give them a father figure in a movie that they will remember 
wow, what an amazing thing you could do. It's really special. Yeah. 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 And the reason some of my characters are have a, have a Muslim background is because, A, I'm, I'm Muslim, and I come from this background, and I haven't seen what is portrayed on television. What I have seen are some of the strongest men and women that you will ever come across. Some of the kindest men and women you will ever come across. But unfortunately, some of the people that don't know how to tell their own stories very well. <laughs> yeah. We have one, a PR oh, problem. Oh, we have a huge <laughs> PR problem. <laughs> it's it's so massive, in fact, that it's 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 unfortunate because everyone says, why don't they tell the truth about us? And I tell people, it is nobody's responsibility mm. to tell the truth about you. You're not going around telling the truth about other people. It's, it's our your job. job. Yeah, mm. It's our job. We mm. have to do it. In fact, we should be spending 90% of our time doing that because I believe in the long run, even though in this country where everybody is in silos now, which I've never mm. seen in my life before, but in the long run, we are a great addition into this country. And once these sort of growing pains of interactions and <laughs> how do you mix and things like that are solved... I think a lot of us, uh, when I say us, I mean people from our background. And when I say us, I mean Americans, because I'm from both. I'm an American. Mm -hmm. I'm also Pakistani heritage and Muslim heritage. Um, That we have a lot to offer to this country. And we have things to offer that I think sometimes a lot of people in this country have forgotten about. And I I look at the troubles that we have in this world right now and the school shootings and all these type of things. And I, I say, well, Maybe there are some things that we can offer back that we've forgotten in this country mm. uh, that can solve some of these problems. Because what I see, these problems are coming from anger and hatred, and and unhappy people more than anything. It's it's not for me. It's not even just about mental illness or guns or this. It's it's about unhappiness. Mm. And how do you solve that problem of anger and and desire to, to to destroy? You have to build people up. And I think we do that in many ways. I do, we we have something in our in our background that that uh, makes us, at least pushes us to be better, pushes us to be mm. better. And it's community, it's culture, it's all these different things. So I um, I hope that answered part of your question. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm listening very intently. You're, you're making me want to try to be a better Muslim now. Oh, oh, oh well. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kind of, I'm you, teasing you. You yeah. know, the, the interesting but, thing is that uh, <laughs> that's such a big, that's such a big, who, what does it even mean? Oh, right, Muslim, yeah, right? yeah, What yeah, is, what course. is that thing? And yeah. for me, um, with the, with the amazing people I've seen, mm. both from straight up all the regular old American people that have helped me in my life, and I'm talking about straight up white people mm. that have helped me in my life all mm. the time. And I see that that's the amazing part of this country, that a stranger will come up to you and help you. But the amazing thing about our, our, our background as well is that sometimes in our families, we have amazing people within our families mm. that will sacrifice their entire lives mm-hmm. to make sure that their children are going to do better than them. And they will die doing it. And I think that's a really universal thing. It is. And, and I is. think, you know, the, that Muslims have been really otherized and demonized yeah. and, and, and portrayed in a very negative light. But, you know, we um, struggle with the same things and we yes. want the same things. And yes. I think that's the power of cinema is that yeah. it ab- it's able to yeah. break down some of those barriers. And right. I think that's the value of the work that you do and the, and the value of what I'm hoping to do in my own career as well. Um, and uh, and and I hope that we're successful in that because it's really really important and and, and it can be an effective um, tool to build bridges between between communities and 
So I, I wanted to get into um, your current project. So let's talk about Crestar and the Night Stallion. Um, uh, yeah, can you give us a little bit of background? You know, where did the idea come from? What's the storyline? What's the current status of the project? And yeah, let's just get into it. Okay, wow. Yeah. So the, 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 <laughs> the genesis probably goes back to the beginning of your conversation, which is mm. that when I was a little kid, I just loved, I loved superheroes, Superman and Batman and all these things. I remember thinking to myself, how come there's not a movie every year about this kind of stuff? <laughs> yeah. And now there is. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. Um, and I always thought to myself, what is the, for many years, I was thinking, what is the code? What is the formula to do it in a way where you can put a new twist on things? Everything's been done. Mm. Everything's been done. Uh, and I'm not talking about from a South Asian point of view. I was just saying in general. Yeah. How do you put a new twist on it? Yeah. And then it, it, it really hit me at one point. It was... Well, imagine if you could leap tall buildings in a single bound, fly through the air, and save multiple people on a daily basis, but you had to be home by 10 p.m. every night because you live with your Arabic or Desi moms. <laughs> and that's your curfew. That's your curfew, yeah. And I'm like, holy sh isn't it? That's a great pitch for yeah. a new twist on a superhero. No matter how strong you are, your parents. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Under their yep. Post. And then, yeah. and then for the written version of this pitch, we always write yeah. dot dot dot. Your Daisy or Arabic mom, who might be a little bit scarier than your arch nemesis. <laughs> okay. Which is true, right? Mm. A lot of our moms, man, they're tough. They're tough they're cookies. So, um, what's interesting is that uh, I was gonna. I had a couple movies in line that I wanted to shoot overseas, and then coronavirus hit. And as things were opening up, we, my partner and I, Nudge, I have a partner, his name is Najem Sayed, and we were thinking about uh, making some of these movies overseas. And we thought, okay, we can start it, but we don't know what's going to happen with Corona. And then taking people from America over there, it's just, it gets really risky. What if they get stuck there? What if they get sick? And uh, I'm willing to take the risk, but is everyone else willing to? No. So then we said, you know what, let's, let's default to an idea where we can shoot it in Michigan, like we've done our other projects. And this idea came right back around because recently we had met Abdullah Jassim, who you had interviewed in your prior podcast. Mm -hmm. podcast. And Najim and I saw this kid who, I shouldn't say kid, this young man, and um, we thought he was very talented and um, just really funny. And when we met him, we, we liked him. Like, I liked him. I thought he was a cool kid. It didn't he's all right. He's all right. He's all right. <laughs> he's all right. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you. I was, like, I was like, yeah, I think he's a good kid. But it wasn't until the second or third time I met him when he started talking about his mom. Mm. And when I when I heard about his mom, I he left. I remember Abdul left, and me and Nudjim turned around. I said, "We we gotta meet his mom. His mom sounds like." And we had no idea who his mom was. Mm. We had no idea how important she was to the community at the time. We said, "We gotta meet his mom because the way he talks about his mom, we gotta help this kid out. Mm -hmm. We gotta put this guy in something. And um, if if anyone's gonna do it, it's gonna be us because nobody else is going to. Mm. You know, that's just the way. Th this is just the way the system works, right? We have to talk the talk that we that we believe in, which is trying to support everybody, right? And um, three weeks later, I texted Abdullah and I said, uh, I was saying, hey, buddy, haven't heard from you. And then he texted me back. He said, my mother just passed away. Mm. And I was shocked because we had to meet her. And she passed away within three weeks of us meet him having that conversation with us. It turns out the first time I met her was at the mosque, at the mm. funeral. Mm. I walked into a crowd. There was like, thousands of people there thousands yeah. of people there and I, I didn't even know where to go I don't know this masjid very well so mm. I walked in there and as I finally find my place there it turns out by chance I ended up being at the foot of his mother's coffin, coffin yeah. 
at the foot of a coffin. Mm. And I said, wow, this was the destiny, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is where I, this house was to meet this wonderful, amazing lady. And then mm-hmm. I found out after she was on the news after that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, she wasn't just an amazing woman. She was actually a huge part of this yeah. community. Mm-hmm. Had no idea. And I, at that point, we I was like, okay, this is just some type of a message. I got to... We got to figure out how to give this guy something bigger. And then it all started talking. We're going to start talking about ideas and this and that. And then eventually what happened with Corona and this and that, we settled on Crestar and the Night Stallion. And uh, it was very, very, very organic from that point on. Razi, I got to tell you, hard as hell to put together. But one of the easiest creatively to get going and, and, and come up with the ideas. It mm. just started rolling. Really, me and Abdullah got in a room together and we started talking about ideas. And it was interesting because although our styles are quite different of comedy and ideas, they mesh together perfectly like one unit. Mm. So it's like it's like having one comedian over here and then one non-comedian who understands funny sure, uh, and can, can have a foil to that. And we, we, we just wrapped a story around there and said, oh my God, this is, this is going to be really, really good. And it came down basically to that Night Stallion is, uh, a, is a hero of Iraqi descent like Abdullah and Crestar is a hero who's born and raised in America, but he's of Pakistani descent like myself. And that's how the thing came about. And then very simply when he started doing his lines, I would reply like this. And that became Crestar. Mm. And that's how everything worked. And then we worked out the story like that and created the script. And then I started doing all the designs for the logos and the costumes and the cars, the environments and sets. We put together the team. And then six months later, we had the whole thing shot and in the can. Mm. And then now here we are where we just released the trailer a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I saw it. It's really stunning. And, and we'll have a link for it and on Thank the web page for the podcast. And so people can check it out. Um, and, and, you know, so you mentioned, you know, that you worked on all the visuals and stuff. Can you walk us through the visuals a little bit? Like what somebody who's watching the show, what are they going to see? Oh, well, first of all, tell us a little bit about the world that, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. the night's Oh yeah. Occupy. Well, well, number one, I, I really am one of those people that loves old, not old, what I say is real movies. Mm. When I say real movies, I don't mean, I mean like without CGI. Mm-hmm. I think CGI is amazing when used as an accentuating thing. But man, I think things should be real. I think you should see it. You can touch it. And when, when, when you can film it that way, people believe it more. So for this, we really wanted to create that look. And so all of these are real costumes built by a, an amazing artisan named Magdi, Magdi Tofik, who happened to be an Egyptian guy living in Italy. I drew all the concept design sketches to a T, sent them over to Italy. Those guys manufactured these amazing costumes, sent oh, them back wow. to us. Oh, it's just... <laughs> What they did was just art, just artistry, uh, amazing artistry. Can't give them more credit. And um, you'll see superheroes. You're going to see like a car, a Batmobile, that was designed by myself called the Fire Breather. It's actually in the movie. It's a real thing. It's not a CGI element. You're going to see stunts. There's real stunts with like dudes hanging off wires flying through Pontiac, Michigan. Like I didn't want to do any of it fake. Mm-hmm. And it's a very unusual thing to do that now. Mm-hmm. But we did it all real and incorporated all the comedy into it as well. So you're going to see it's, it's an action-adventure comedy superhero thing. <laughs> and it's just a little window into the world of what we think this could be. There's many more superheroes and many more ideas and villains, but you'll see a little bit of everything. And um, I've tried my hardest uh, to make it look as good as possible. We had a great cinematographer. His name is Jan Mikulik. And uh, Mikalik, and he uh, is a very good cinematographer I've worked with for a long time. And so we 
got it looking really cool as well and shot it on these really cool cameras and lenses and things like that. So You mentioned something about the car, and, and I know that the car was also in gin. Yep. And so naturally it leads me to the question, are you, are you sort of thinking about a Muslim superhero cinematic universe maybe? <laughs> You never know. <laughs> Air quotes, you never know. You never know. You never okay. know because okay. uh, jinns can be anything and anybody. Wow. Jinns can be villains. Maybe jinns could be super. Maybe there's some superheroes that harness the power of jinn fire. Who knows? Ah, okay. Who knows? Okay. Who knows what's going on? And maybe my soul to keep was, maybe that was a jinn that was at the end of that movie. Who knows about that as well, too? We don't know. All right. So. I won't I won't pry any further, yeah, and, yeah. and we'll just let the audience um, sure. you know, wait for it until it comes out. Um, you know... You know, I want to go back into your craft a little bit. You write, you direct, you produce. Um, you also work on the set design and costume design. And and so much of that is are things that you want to be doing individually and you, you know, are such a master craftsman at putting these things together. But then filmmaking naturally is such a collaborative craft. You have to work with people and you have to collaborate with people. And so... You know, I, I guess the question I'm trying to form is, is can you maybe talk about your experience with the sort of master craftsmanship versus the collaboration and how they come together and the relationship between the two? Mm, yeah. Um, number one, I'm, uh, I think, I, I, I do think I was born <laughs> to do this job, although it doesn't mean I like all aspects of the job. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got yeah. it. You only you <laughs> will understand what I'm talking about yeah. because there's a uh, hundred million things that that people don't know goes into yeah. a project. Mm. Um, my heart is that of a collaborator, in that I love people and I love working with people. The problem is I like working with nice people. <laughs> 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 and sometimes not everybody is nice. Yeah. And, and th yeah. there are always egos involved. And I've noticed in this business, um, people tend to have big egos. And yeah. it, it's really, it's, it's unbelievable. We're, we're doing things that make people happy. We're not doing things that pe save people's lives sometimes. You know what I mean? And so to have an ego or to put people down or to make things hard, it just, I don't know why that is even on a set. But I try myself never to create that if, if, if possible. Um, but I've worked with a lot of people most people I work with are just, it's amazing to collaborate and I love the process and I'm very open to collaboration. I enjoy collaboration because I always tell people, if you can make my idea better, I want it. I, I want, I want it and I want to give you the credit for it. And if I can make your idea better, I will and I don't need the credit for it. Just let's make something great. I believe we just need to create and creating things is, is, is what will be left behind when we're gone. So I enjoy the creative process very much and I enjoy the collaborative process and the and and with Abdullah specifically who is probably my closest collaborator creatively I've had now. Oh wow. Yeah, he's mm, my closest amazing. creative co collaborator because I've found a guy that has a really good sense, he has a good imagination. Uh, and, and, and specifically what he does, which is comedy, he also can execute it. So it's, there's no, I don't need to direct him on it. I'm just like, mm. dude, go do it. Mm. You, that's a good idea. Go make it happen. I don't need to change it. Go do it. And I will then do this whole thing to house that idea. Right? So if, for example, if he came up with a good idea of, uh, there's, there's a couple parts in the script that are just purely him like his this is like this is how Arab a AJ this is how Arabs are this is what would happen I'm like, okay fantastic you know it better than me you grew up in Dearborn 
I'm going to craft a scene around that. Let's do that. And that's how it worked with him. And he is also a good collaborator, so it works very well. But in other things, so as far as design goes, design and how things look, man, I tell you, I, I don't know if I've found anybody yet that can do it specifically better in the way that I'm looking for it. So I don't even, I just do it all myself. Mm -hmm. And that way there is no discussion. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, we don't need to have 20 meetings about how Crestar looks. Here he is. That was the first thing that was done. And the logo, we don't need to have, we don't need to pay $100,000 to make the logo. Here is the Crestar logo. Here's the Nightstand logo. And for, for, for Abdullah, I actually went so far, which I usually never do, because that was his character. I said, let me ask you a question. What would you like? You've always wanted to be a superhero. You tell me what, what are superheroes you love? And he goes, well, you know, I've, I've always, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be like Wolverine. <laughs> That's your super, favorite superhero? Yeah. I'm like, all right, dude. I'm going to give like 20% DNA of Wolverine's costume into the Night Stallion's costume. Mm. Well, first of all, we're going to make him blue and gold because that's a University of Michigan Wolverine, but he was talking about Wolverine, <laughs> Wolverine from Marvel, right? Yeah. I said, okay, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just homage Wolverine. We'll give him like pointy ears up there, right? We're not copying anything or, or doing that, but we're just giving a little bit of that DNA in there to say, hey, you know what? This is the thing that you love. We'll incorporate him into the design just a little bit, that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, I love the collaboration part of it. But I also love getting from point A to point B as painlessly and quickly as possible. And and sometimes I know that when you have more discussions, the idea gets watered down. It's a difference between a car made by committee and a car designed by Pinaferina. One person designing one car is going to be better than the 100 best designers designing one car and having to work together on it. Mm. It's one vision. Yeah. Really, really good. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean if, if you think about it, why is it that the large, I'm not going to name any companies by name, but why is it that the largest companies in the world, car design wise, have the most amount of money, the most amount of resources, and hire the most, the best designers, the best engineers, the best craftsmen, and yet they can't make the best cars? Why isn't it that every car that comes off every assembly line on these larger companies aren't, why aren't they more beautiful than a Lamborghini or a Ferrari? Why, why isn't it? Well, it's because the vision of one man creating it from beginning to end, from taillight to headlight, and every angle, every body shape, every curve, every balance of every proportion, from the windshield rake to everything else, that one vision is going to be more solid than having 20 of the best designers, one guy designing the headlights, one guy designing the rake of the windshield, one guy designing the door handles. It will never gel perfectly. You'll never get that Ferrari, ever. And you could spend $15 million. The fire breather I designed in 45 minutes. And I just looked at the shape. This is the shape I want. This is the lines I'm going to use. And it was done. A big company will spend millions of dollars to do that. And they won't get it right. Mm. Because sometimes one mind is, is, is better than a hundred and it, it, Apple Apple is the same way they got one guy who was leading the entire design Johnny thing. Ivy Johnny Ivy yeah no I mean I, I sort of I was sort of chuckling because I was thinking of the LA Lakers you know <laughs> <laughs> it's just too many chefs in the kitchen there's a lot of chefs in that kitchen a lot kitchen. of chefs in that kitchen there yeah. are a lot of chefs and sometimes yeah. you want you need some sous chefs you need some sous chefs yeah, yeah and you need and you need some people with vision is very important and even a a moderately good vision is better than a thousand amazing visions that don't make sense Man, this is such an inspiring conversation, and 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 
I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And so Me too. I want to um I want to ask you a little bit about your inspirations. And I know that you have your own unique style and you know you're so sort of um intense about what you want in terms of the look and feel of your work projects and films but who are the people that you look to as role models in the world of cinema specifically oh or maybe even outside and in, in fine arts or visual arts or yeah. in other places that you get inspiration from who, yeah. are, who are the people that you look up to there are some people that in specifically in the world of cinema that i've never met i don't even know if i'll ever be, ever be, be if i'll ever be able to meet them but i can tell you when you watch their movies and you hear them speak, and you see what they've done, and I know now what, a little bit of what goes into making a movie, I've always looked up to them, and as I get older, I look up even more. And I don't even think I need to meet them, because I've met them through their work. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously going to be Steven Spielberg. It's obviously going to be James Cameron. It's obviously going to be Ridley Scott. Obviously going to be George Lucas. Richard Donner. John McTiernan. Uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Mm. Martin Scorsese. You could go on and on and on and on. <laughs> what what these guys did was they created worlds. And I don't know if that era has been replicated again. I don't know if we've, from between like 1970 till the year 2000, I don't know if we've made, oh, uh, what's his name as well? What's the other? Uh, Tony Scott is another mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we, Tim Burton is another one. Jim Henson's another one. Mm. Walt Disney's another one. Wow. Master world builders. Master world builders. Yeah. We are still going to... I get excited. I haven't been to Disney World since I was 13. Now. I've been waiting. Like, I, I probably got to get married soon, go on a honeymoon. I, I would go to Disney World. Like, I'm that idiot. Like, you would go to Disney World? What about... You're part like, of the adult Disney... Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. I know, would cult, go there. The yeah. cult of adult Disney. Yeah. And look at what yeah. this guy made. Yeah. And to this day, still making. And I give these people credit. So much credit. They've inspired me, but they've created things that you can't unravel from the DNA of the world now. It's not just America. Mm. Oh, and one man, specifically above all else, that people don't give enough credit to, a man named John Williams. Oh, sure. Holy. Yeah. I shouldn't even mention him. He should be mentioned first. What is cinema without John Williams? There is no cinema. (laughs) There is no cinema. In fact, I, I try to humble myself every day by remembering that no matter how much I design, no matter how much I write, no matter how much I direct, how perfectly I can or don't do it, my product is still 49%. 51 is the music. Yeah. Who doesn't know those? Who doesn't know it? It takes you to another place. Yes. It takes you to a memory. It takes you to a childhood. It takes you to inspiration. That inspiration leads to other inspiration. Mm. Who knows what Elon Musk watched when he was little to take us to space? Mm. Who knows? Did he watch Back to the Future? Is, is, is there a little bit of the DeLorean in that Tesla? Who knows? It's an electric car, mm. right? Another great director. Uh, uh, Back to the Future, Forrest Gump. All of these people are just... you. How did they do it way before computer graphics were even there? Mm. It's just mind-boggling what they did. They let us see dinosaurs for the first time. They let us see spaceships. For the first time. They made us believe that a man could fly. 
They took us on Apollo 13 with Ron Howard. Mm. It's unbelievable. <laughs> These are the and 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 by the way, I want to put this here now is that John Williams is a Beethoven. He is one of the masters. He's a savant. He yeah. is, yeah. and we're living in his time now, and mm. nobody knows that. They say it's a movie score. No, he's not a man who makes movie scores. He is one of the best composers that humanity has ever created. We just don't know it because he's not dead yet. <laughs> and they don't realize that all the scores that were being created before those classic pieces of music, they were to go with plays. They're all the background music of plays that were hired by somebody to make it. So you're going to look back in 100 years, you're going to be like, oh my God, we were living in the time of John Williams. That's really remarkable. And I put all those other guys, uh, those directors in that category because they've given the world something amazing. And we don't know how many people they've inspired. What what they have done in this world is remarkable. If I could have 1% of that before I die, I will be very happy. Mm. Wow, what an answer. <laughs> you Sorry. Got me, you've got me inspired and, and <laughs> fired up now. I'm, I'm eager to get get out there and, and continue Well, you're doing work. it. You're already I'm, doing I'm it. I'm trying, yeah. You I'm, are I'm already doing, doing best, it. Yeah. I saw your <laughs> film. I came here yeah. to this place and I saw that film, mm. and now you're doing two, three more, so yeah. you're already there. Um, you know, I want to shift gears just a little bit and, and <clears throat> sort of take this interview into a kind of a self-reflective um, uh, space you know, every artist and filmmaker, even the great ones, has a story about failure. Mm. Can you tell me about a time in your life where you felt like your your film or your project missed the mark or didn't land with audiences as you might have wished it did or just landed completely differently or completely mm. flat even? So I will tell you... <laughs> this is another great question. You're going to think I'm crazy. This is the, Let's gonna, get into you're it. You're going to have a crazy answer to this one. <laughs> I don't think anyone understands this answer of mine, except for me. And maybe one or two other people in this world, but I have never understood the concept of success and failure. Mm. They don't exist to me. You're like, what the, hell, what the hell are you talking? What are you talking about? Like, what, is, what does that mean? I said, I don't think there is such a thing as failure. I don't think I've ever failed and I don't think I've ever succeeded I don't think I ever will succeed this is a constant path and I learned that when I was a little child I was in preschool and I started drawing I was drawing I think my mom told me I started drawing at like two years old I picked up pencils and started drawing and I got it like this and I remember being in pre pre-k I was like three maybe three years old and I used to love Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> me too <laughs> I love Dukes of Hazzard. I was like <laughs> That car, I need that car in my life. I was like three. I'm like, I need two things in my life. I need Linda Carter as Wonder Woman in my life, and I need that General Lee car. Okay, yeah. I need that car. And I remember I tried to draw it in in my preschool, my pre kindergarten, and uh, I I remember thinking <laughs> I did not draw the car. It's like it, the wheels are huge. And this looks horrible and to yeah. myself. I'm like, you you don't know how to draw this car. And I crumpled it up and I threw it away. And I, I took another sheet out and I started drawing a new one. And I'm like, okay, that's still not the car, but it's a lot better. And I, I've, I have, that process has been my entire life. Mm. So I, it's not that I felt like the first car was a failure. I felt like that was what led me to the second car, which still wasn't perfect, which will lead me to the third car, which still isn't perfect. And to this day, if I try to draw the General Lee, the, the, it's going to be great, but it's not going to be perfect. Mm. And, and, and I, I'll, people will look at it and say you succeeded, but I'll look at it and be like, actually, you don't realize this, but that 
the the rake of the car in the back it's it's not right mm. and if i tell them that you're crazy it looks like the car i'm like no I, I can see it's off i'll fix it next time i do it and that's been my entire life from a very young child till today i actually get the enjoyment out of the creation process and once i'm done with the project i don't really even look back at it i move on to the next one and i learn really quickly so um that's part of the answer that's part of the answer there is another part of the answer which is that when people see things and they react to them you can feel it when they love something mm-hmm. versus when they like it right or versus when they don't like it and of course i think for everybody when somebody loves something you you can really feel it they just mm-hmm. they do the extra mm-hmm. this is a little bit extra like mm-hmm. oh my god i really loved it yeah. so i can feel that and i think that makes you feel good but that's a different thing of what my motivation is so i've never judged any of my work that way i never will everything is always in a in a f- unfinished in a, an unfinished version like like this trailer we just released by the way which is getting really good response it's it's mm. almost like a 99% positive which i think is m- if you're judging from that scenario, maybe one of the best things we've ever made as a company, as a group of people. Mm. Um, and that feels good to get it, but I still look at it the same. Like I, I finished it to the point where I had to to release it at the time we released it, but there's still 20 other things I wish I could do to it. Mm. And I will always think about those things. Like I, re- I color corrected the entire thing myself. And when I look at it, I'm like, I hope nobody notices why I color. There's a lot of grain in some shots, but nobody notices it. So I always ask him, like, hey, uh, so what do you think? Did you see that? Like, what are you talking about? That looks amazing. I'm like, yeah, 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 it's cool. <laughs> right. So for me, it's You're a, a perfectionist. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very much yeah. so, yeah. Mm. So, so, I and again, I think this is a weird, this is a weird part of my personality. Maybe the reason why I keep on going no matter what. I feel like if, if I was born in a different time in life, I'd be a general in an army because I don't care about taking bullets to win the battle. I really don't care. I'll run face into something if I know that the the justification is right, that I have to go this way to get to the end to save the people or to save myself or to do something good. And I don't care how many bullets I take as long as I get to the end. It's, I, I look at it like this. Success in reality is not a point. It's a staircase. I tell everybody this. Whatever your version of success is, it's up here. I hope it's not money or fame or whatever it is because that's not success Mm. success is actually happiness Mm. doing what you love to do and making it making it and doing it over and over and over again or living a life that you love or 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 having a family or whatever it is that staircase you have to go up sometimes you may go down to go up four steps and you may go down when you stop that's when you failed Mm. because eventually you will get to the top and when you get to the top, then you will succeed. I think I'll be a success when I die, if that makes any sense. When I die, I'll say this is the end of my time here on this planet. I hopefully have a bunch of family around me and kids that like me and are with me. And the fire breather will be sitting on the uh, <laughs> driveway and one of my kids will be like, Grandpapa made that. Yeah. And someone will watch one of my movies and have a happy memory. And I'll probably say, this is a great life. I already say it's a great life. If it happened to me today, I'd be very happy. Um, I hope not, though. Uh, but uh, I do believe that the active pursuit of your dreams and the ability to do that is all the success that I need. And I'm doing it every day. 
Um, so where are you headed with this project? What's next? You know, what are you looking for? And what do you think is needed to take it to the next level? And specific, I'm talking about Crestar and the Night Stallion. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we created a, a, a little world. Uh, we created a pilot. The trailer is cut from that pilot. And uh, what we're doing now is we're building out the entire season, like the entire uh, pitch for what that is going to be. And uh, the trailer was released to gauge interest. And it looks like we have interest, a lot of interest, actually. We're getting a lot of um, uh, inquiries from different companies all around the world, actually, who don't know what this is. They, some people think it's American. Some people think it's South Asian. Some people think it's everything. I think that actually was good. That's a good thing. But what we really got to do is turn it into a, a show, uh, a full feature-length show, sorry, a full show or, or a series of feature-length films, which we wouldn't be opposed to doing as well, too. So um, we've got a few people working um, with us in Los Angeles as well that are setting up meetings with uh, streamers. And uh, we may go that route if, if somebody gets the idea uh, and loves it and says, no, this is the right home for it, then we'll be happy to put it there. If, if it ends up being a network, that could be great as well. And we also have inquiries from a lot of companies overseas that are saying, hey, listen, we want to take this. They're not traditional American companies, but they want to turn them into either films or things like that. So we're trying to figure all that stuff out right now. We, it's been so fast and such an amazing kind of flash that happened with the trailer. Uh, we have a really a very famous actress from Pakistan who's in it, who just all she gave it a huge boost as well. Her name is Jamuna Zaidi, such a nice woman, by the way. Uh, and and she, people are going crazy for it overseas, and we we ex, we didn't expect it that much. We expected, it, but not as much. I mean, it's they're like just because she's in it, they love it. So we're trying to see what is the right home. Mm-hmm. Is it is it going to be made here in Michigan, and we're going to be partnering with a company in Los Angeles? Is it an overseas company that says, hey, you know, here's a ton of money. Let's go make this in a huge way. And we're like, yeah, okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, but luckily, those conversations are opening up now. But really what we're looking for before any of that happens is we're looking for a, a couple amazing people to, to add to the team. You know, we want to find some great writers, maybe some showrunners who know more about delivering a whole series. I can't do that myself. I nearly mm-hmm. killed myself making this movie. Uh, making making this uh, pilot, pilot yeah. yeah, and uh, I don't think I could manage. I can manage this much. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can manage doing because I've never done it before. I've never done a series, yeah. so getting it done in a certain amount of time, a certain amount of episodes, it's a big logistical nightmare of oh, man- yeah. management. Yeah. You know, I can't even, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Even this one was a nightmare, but yeah. I can't imagine doing it ten episodes over and over again. <laughs> I think I would. Like I don't really like to work that hard. <laughs> I really, I really don't. Sure, yeah. uh, um, but uh, we got to find those people, and mm. so we're actually, we're actually meeting some. And you're helping out with that process as well, too. Uh, now I've got you on record that you're helping out with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you yeah. have to, It's recorded. So, yeah, now. it's recorded, right? So um, um, you can hold me to it. Yeah, for sure. So that is, uh, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for more people to team because we we can't just have a couple people doing it. Our company does bigger projects. Uh, than the size of the company, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're still a bunch of guys uh, and girls doing stuff. Uh, we're trying to punch above our pay grade, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's hard to do that. It's not easy. It's to very do. hard. It's yeah. very hard. Yeah, very, yeah. You know it. You mm-hmm, know it. Mm-hmm. Trying to punch above your pay grade is exactly what it means. Is that eventually you're going to get hit back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to hurt. Yeah. It's going to hurt, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and and some of the themes that we talked about, you know, I want to kind of come back to in terms of the Muslim community. You know, films are so powerful in terms of um, representing a community, misrepresenting a community, normalizing symbols. You know, we're sort of 
joking about Dukes of Hazard and the General Lee, and yeah. it's like, you know, I think we were when the show was in probably in reruns at the time, but when I was young and when you you were young, we wouldn't have picked up on the mm-hmm. power of the mm-hmm. Confederate flag yeah. as the imagery. We just thought it's yeah. a cool car, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think fast forward 25, 30, 40 years later as we've evolved and I think we've, we're collectively realizing the importance of representation yeah. in film and cinema and pop culture yeah. through, and, and we have such great examples of, um, of um, you know, uh, films like Crazy Rich Asians and, yeah. and so many other films that have come out recently representing communities that have historically been um, misrepresented. You know, yeah. Black, Black Panther, another you know, really good example of that to sort of bring up a superhero, you know, genre, you know, there. Um, And so what do you think your work can do potentially through this film or future films that you might be brewing as ideas, you know, what do you think they can do and and how do you think they can contribute to this, um, to this move towards multiculturalism and celebrating diversity and building bridges? My answer to that question is uh, its a great question. And um, again, I think it comes back to who I am as a person. I, am, I'm, I feel very blessed to have been born in the time I'm born in. I'm happy to live on Earth, planet Earth today. <laughs> <laughs> Although it's, a ch- it's the most challenging time I've ever seen in my life. Mm, yeah. But I'm still very happy that I was born on planet Earth. I'm very happy I was born in this country I was very happy. I'm very happy I've been exposed to all the different people I've been exposed to. And to be honest with you, to this day, I can only name or, or say one or two people that has had, ne- had a negative impact on my life. And maybe that's because I don't see them. I don't mm. visualize who these people are. But in front of me... Like Taylor Swift said, shake it off. <laughs> shake it off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's awesome, by yeah. the way. Uh, and I do like her music quite a bit. She's very got I agree. great music. I Holy agree. crap, yeah. man! <laughs> I have that on my iPod, on my car iPod actually. So, nice. um, I believe that we can be great. And when I say we, I don't mean people who look like you or me. I don't mean Pakistanis. I don't mean Muslims. I don't mean uh, Americans. I mean humans. Like we can be great. And we have to make a decision whether we are going to be heading towards the golden age of mankind, which we can hit, or are we going to destroy ourselves in the process of going backwards, which we are easily, easily capable of doing. You're it's it. happened before. It's happened yeah. before, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's what people don't realize. Every empire that has ever existed on this planet has fallen every good empire that has ever existed has also fallen every bad empire has already fallen as well you got to figure out where are you in that grand scheme of things and what's causing the downfall whether it's the country of america whether it's russia whether it's a religion whether it's an empire whatever it is whether it's a group of people a tribe a family you have to kind of figure out where you are my feeling is that hope optimism and the building blocks of that is creation inspiration searching for the best things that we could create telling our children that no 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 you can do this you will get to mars one day no you will not care about instagram one day you will be bigger than that (laughs) right yeah you don't care about how many followers you got you will be making something instead right 
we can do that. But I think it has to be a conscious decision of the stories that we tell, not just through cinema and radio and TV, but also how we tell those stories within our houses, you know, within our families, within our friends, within our schools. We are spending a lot of time destroying things right now. We're tearing, everybody wants to tear something down, whether it's you're tearing down a religion, whether it's you're tearing down feminism, whether you're tearing down the patriarchy, democracy. democracy. Yeah, you could be tearing down democracy. You could be tearing down communism. You could be tearing down the patriarchy. You could be tearing down whatever, okay? Actually, you should be spending that time building up your own thing. And then you can tell these amazing stories that are future thinking, right? Where are we going to be in 100 years from now? I believe we're going to be in a great place. And in these stories that I want to show in these movies, I want to build that place. I want to create that idea of where we could go as a human, as a human race, as a human species. Uh, not just spiritually, but physically. We have to leave this planet one day. Well, we will. Mm. Maybe Elon Musk is going to be the man that does it. <laughs> but we're going to go there one day. And that's really where we have to go in the future. Then we also have to become happy people. We have to be happy. You don't just want to be moving forward and being upset about it the entire time. So what is making us unhappy right now in the world? And I have my own answers to those things. And I try to put those into my films, you know, in some way, shape, or form. And try to make a message that says, look, there's hope. There's a lot of hope. And at this point in time, we have more ability than we've ever had in the history of mankind to create the things that we visualize, not just fictionally, but in reality. You can 3D print something today. That's unbelievable. You don't actually have to have hands anymore. The sculptor no longer has to have hands. He just has to have his mind. And we can create more than we've ever created before, and yet people are doing more destroying than they've ever done before. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's one of the problems, by the way. Sorry to bring this back to your earlier question. One of my criticisms of our people, like Muslim people I'm talking about, is the one specific mm -hmm. group that I'm yeah. part of. We've forgotten the art of creation. Mm. As a group, we're almost 2 billion people around the world. There was a time when we created amazing architecture, amazing paintings, amazing stories, amazing concepts, science, uh, astronomy, geometry, all these things, universities, universities. Mm -hmm. And now I ask people, Name me two Muslim, five Muslim people in the past 100 years, 200 years, that are as well known to the average human being as Steve Jobs, uh, uh, Graham Bell, Thomas Edison, Mozart. Name me, name, me, name me five that the rest of the world will know. And you always get this stare of, I'm like, okay, name me one. And they're like, Muhammad Ali. I'm like, yeah, he was a boxer. I'm talking about somebody that created something that changed the entire world it's not that there aren't there mm -hmm. it's that it isn't there in as abundance as mm -hmm. there should be right if anything I would like to do is to just make that spark happen because mm -hmm. once you spark it it'll be like a raging flame mm -hmm. and we'll spend all of our time less of our time talking about the negatives of how people attack us, or who so-and-so is saying this about my daughter, or blah, 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 Pakistan versus India, <laughs> or politics, schmolitics. No, we'll be like, nah, you know what? Let's go build a great building. Mm -hmm. Let's figure out how to get food to people. And, and that's, you know, that's all in the art of creation, which if it comes back down to Halal Metropolis, what you guys are doing, it's an amazing thing. Mm. 
that's a great segue to my last question. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't have asked for a better transition. Okay. So, okay. so <clears throat> you know, with with this project, we're examining, documenting, highlighting, showcasing, and giving a platform to Muslim artists and entrepreneurs. And you know, we had this exhibition series which highlighted some of the achievements of the Muslim community. But we've also identified, um, uh, you know, through this concept through this idea of a halal metropolis and the halal metropolis is something that exists today in the form of dearborn and tramic it's any place where muslims can be them their full selves contribute to the society and the community that they're a part of with their fullest abilities and not feel a sense of discrimination or marginalization and so here we're blessed in southeast michigan in metro detroit to have this kind of environment um and part of what makes this experience for muslims um, viable is its visibility. Visibility through politics, through design, through food even, through culture. And you and I, we're also a part of that. You know, we're part of that visibility. So let's sort of come back to Metro Detroit and celebrate what we have and, and let's look ahead a little bit. So if you can imagine what the future of this halal metropolis is, what do you see as the future of the halal metropolis? Another great question. Um, first of all, you it sounds like you're part of that future already. You're doing something, what you guys are doing is something that I, I doubt very few people around this nation are even thinking about, mm. but it's the building blocks of that. Um, to I guess to bring this, the first thing that comes to my mind is <laughs> it's in our show, Crest mm -hmm. Star and the Night Stallion, ironically, one of the characters in reality is Dearborn. Dearborn is actually like, Dearborn, if you were to, say that something Personify is it. It. Yeah. Yeah. if you were to say what is a halal metropolis yeah. literally it would probably be open up webster's dictionary halal metropolis dot 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 dearborn <laughs> and um so we've decided to weave all of those stories and all the funny and cool interesting things that come along with them into many of these episodes like do you, i mean do people out there know what a walla cusbro is <laughs> you know what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of the world doesn't. Yeah. When you show them what a Walla Cusbro is, you're like, oh, that's the that's like the Arab Jersey Shore dude. <laughs> oh my God, there's one of those in Dearborn. No, there's like three thousand of them, yeah. right? So, just telling those stories creates this thing. And and actually, one of my goals is that with with Crestor and the Night Stallion, I actually want to make Dearborn. I want to make like Dearborn the New Zealand of. Michigan. <laughs> I want people to come visit sure. Dearborn. So they go to Aljum's Barbecue. Sure. Where Crestar is like, it's barbecue, dude. It's barbecue. Be big sauce. You know, that kind of stuff yeah. that was in the actual trailer. And if we could do this with the show, and people want to go see this place and go see that place, and oh, that's where the fire breather was driving down the street. You want to make it a destination. I want to make it a destination. Mm -hmm. So everyone out there listening, all right? The goal, <laughs> my goal is to turn... Dearborn into New Zealand, but as a as a halal metropolis concept, you know, as a not a literal idea, but I I see that for the first time, and I I actually think me and my my partners, uh, Najim Syed Shahid Syed as well, we we were we were really ahead of we were like 15 years ahead of the game. I agree, yeah. And uh, it's amazing because what what we wanted to happen is happening now but it was we were thinking about it so long ago mm. and now i'm starting to see that it's like no people are are actually starting to get it and like people like you are rising up and doing these amazing things i mean when we caught up 
a little while ago, I heard about all the things you do. I'm like, my God, it's just, you just, you got it. You <laughs> changed careers and you did this. I, I didn't even know that you were changing careers. I thought you were doing something else and doing some stuff at the sun. Mm-hmm. Now you're, you're, you're flying, right? And it's all these great people from all these different places that are telling their stories. Uh, maybe not on the same level you're doing it as or I'm doing it as, but they're reaching out to the community. And now you see that during um, Ramadan, people come from, people who are not Muslim go to that Ramadan fest. Oh, the Sahur fest. Sahur yeah. fest, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing, I, I met, we were standing in line for like, and by the way, Ramadan fest, you need to fix this problem. <laughs> no more hour long lines, okay? Yeah. But we were standing in the cold uh, for an hour and there was a group of girls behind us and I was like, where are you guys from? Like, oh, we're from Farmington. Like, you know, I'm like, where are you from? They're like, oh, I'm Italian. Mm. Like, oh, you're Italians. Wow, that's cool. What are you doing here? It's like, oh, it's just really cool. We heard about it. We wanted to come. We came before. I'm like, all right, cool. So we had a discussion for mm. an hour. And they ended up, we stayed in touch with them. And they ended up watching the trailer. Oh, and when it came fine. out, they were <laughs> texting us. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, it was awesome, right? Yeah. I'm like, wow, this is Halal Metropolis. Mm. It's a, just about reaching out to people. Mm. And and not just taking from them but contributing but contributing to them i believe food yeah. is one of the most important <laughs> things if you bring i don't care if he's a swiss guy a russian lady a guy from africa you put them into your house and you give them a samosa they're all going to be like a i like you <laughs> B, they're going to be like, what the hell is this? Because it's good. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. And and so that's, you know, breaking down these barriers and making friends with people and telling your story and any way that we can do that. I think it's part of the halal metropolis. Mm. You know, maybe it's by making movies. Maybe it's by actually making halal metropolis like you guys are doing, having these podcasts or inviting people into your house. I think that's... Uh, it's all a part of it. It's yeah. all a part of it. Yeah. Uh, Ajmal, so, so it's just the sad part of the the conversation is that we have to come to an end, um, and we've gone a bit over on time as well. But it was such an enjoyable conversation. But uh, thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun, so so enjoyable. Um, and I just wanted to mention that uh, for the audience, you can follow his work and stay up to date on his latest projects on Instagram at Ajmal Zahir Ahmad. Um, that's his Instagram handle, um, A-J-M-A-L-Z-A-H-E-E-R-A-H-M-A-D, <laughs> not E-D, A-D. This podcast is a production of the Halal Metropolis Project. Our team includes your hosts, Sally Howell, Osman Khan, and Razi Jaffrey, with production support from Asma Baban and editing support from Shiraz Ahmed. Our theme music is composed by Lou Fuki and Divine Providence. The Halal Metropolis podcast has been made possible through the generous support of the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art, and the El Hibri Foundation, and is hosted by the Center for Arab American Studies at the University of Michigan Dearborn. For more information, check us out at halalmetropolis.org.